message from Trinity Grace Church in San Antonio, Texas. For more information, please visit trinitygracesa.org. Well, friends, next week it is our intention to begin a new winter sermon series looking at the Old Testament book of Judges. And so that's going to begin uh, next week. Uh, hope that you join us for that and maybe even be thinking about a friend or a neighbor you might want to invite to join us uh, beginning next week as well here at Trinity Grace. But this week, being the first Sunday of a new year, we have the opportunity to hear from a friend and a fellow pastor named Bryant McGee. Bryant was with us earlier this summer. I was out of town at the time, uh, but uh, from what I heard, many of you enjoyed his ministry here uh, that Sunday, and so we are excited to have him back with us uh, this morning. Bryant, why don't you come on up? Uh, Brian is going to be preaching to us from uh, Genesis chapter 41. Please welcome Brian. Thanks for being here. Good morning, Trinity Grace. It's a, it's a great pleasure to be back with you again. A um, couple of things by way of introduction. The title of the sermon is From Pit to Peak. It's uh, misprinted in your bulletin, and it is the entire chapter of Genesis chapter 41. I'm not going to read the whole thing, uh, but I am going to read a large portion of it to you. It's a joy to be back with you, especially uh, on a brand new year. I hope you had a great Christmas and a, and a, and a safe uh, new year. As we begin uh, this particular passage this morning, I've chosen it because of the new year, but we're dropped kind of right into the middle and uh, towards the end of a lengthy life and the life of Joseph. And so it may do us some good just to spend a couple of moments just to kind of summarize things and put things into historical perspective. If you're anything like me, from time to time you, you, you get just brain twisted over some of the individuals, especially if they start with the same letter or have the same name and things like that. So let me just help you get a bigger picture before we read a big piece of scripture so that this will make sense for you. If you'll just think of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, all right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Abraham had two sons, Isaac was chosen, Ishmael was not chosen. Isaac had two sons, Jacob was chosen, Esau was not chosen. Jacob had 12 sons. They're known as the 12 tribes of Israel. His favorite son was Joseph, and that's the guy that we're going to read about somewhat today. Joseph is the one who got the coat of many colors from his dad, remember? He got that fancy coat that his other 11 brothers did not get. Joseph was known as the dreamer. He's the one that uh, had dreams and interpreted dreams. Uh, He told his brothers that he had had a dream that their crops were going to bow down to his crops and their their, uh, uh, animals were going to bow down to his animals. He even told his dad, uh, Jacob, whose name was later changed to Israel, he even told his dad that his dad would bow down to him as well. No great love loss between his brothers and Joseph. Uh, one particular day, they take, his bro- uh, take their brother Joseph and they throw him into a dry pit. And uh, they leave him there. They, they go back and they decide what they're going to do. They're going to take this coat. They're going to rip it all up and they're going to put uh, animal blood on it and give it to his dad and tell his dad that he was destroyed by an animal. And Reuben, the oldest of the 12 sons, says, no, let's, let's don't have any death. Let's don't shed any blood. Let's just sell him. So they go back to get him. But the Midianites had found him, taken him out of the pit 
taken him to Egypt, sold him into slavery there. They didn't know that, didn't know what happened to him. So they took the coat back, put blood all over the coat, told dad that he was devoured by an animal, but all the while he was in Egypt. He became influential in Potiphar's house. You'll remember the account where Potiphar's wife finds him to be a good-looking little lad, and she uh, tries to have her way with him one particular day, ripping his coat off as he flees the sin. Uh, she later gives uh, the coat to her husband, says, that Hebrew that you've brought into our house, this is what he tried to do to me today. He tried to attack me. And so Joseph is thrown into the pit. While he's in the pit, he meets the uh, baker, the chief baker and the chief cup bearer of Pharaoh's house. These two individuals have dreams, and Joseph interprets those dreams, and their dreams, his interpretation comes true. The baker is killed by Pharaoh, and the cupbearer is restored to his place of providence, and Joseph tells the cupbearer, when this happens, and you get out, and you go back to Pharaoh's house, don't forget me. Don't forget me here in the pit. And that's where we're going to pick up our text then this morning. Now, Genesis chapter 41, beginning in verse 1. Hear now the word of God. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows, and Pharaoh awoke." He fell asleep and dreamed a second time, and behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning, his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but none were able to interpret them for Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants, it put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. We dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving us an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And he interpreted to us so that it came about. I was restored to my office and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and they quickly brought him up out of the pit and when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it's not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Joseph goes on to uh, to interpret the dream, tells him the seven years of, of plenty are coming, followed by the seven years uh, of, of famine that are coming all over Egypt. And then we pick up in verse 32. The doubling of Pharaoh's dream means this. It means that the thing is fixed 
by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set over him the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let him gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. Pharaoh goes on to choose uh, Joseph as that discerning man, puts him as second in his whole house, under Pharaoh only himself, over everything, the seven plentiful years begin. He begins to put grain away, and we pick up in verse 50. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asaniah, the daughter of Potiphar's priest of On, bore to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn son Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship in my father's house. The name of the second son he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. The seven plentiful years end, the seven years of famine begin, and then the last verse. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I am a member of Colorado's 14ers Club. By that, I mean this. I climbed a 14,000-foot mountain. I climbed Mount Humboldt that's in the San Cristo mountain range in southwest part of Colorado. My friend and I planned out the whole trip. We packed all of, uh, his, all of our things in his Jeep. We drove up to the trailhead. We got out of his Jeep, leaving it there. We donned our heavy backpacks, headed up the mountain, where our plan was to camp just below the, the timber line, the tree line, to set up camp there and stay the night, and then the next day to get up and ascend with no pack all the way to the top of the mountain. We got out of his Jeep. We began our journey with our packs on our back, with our tents and our stoves and everything like that, and I began to have this internal argument with myself, arguing that I had packed a fork and a spoon when all I literally needed was a spoon. I didn't need the weight of that fork on my back as well as all of the other things that were inside my pack. I was looking for any rock I could to lift that thing up off my back to rest as I was ascending up uh, the mountain to our campsite. We finally got to that campsite, took everything off, we put everything together, and we rested that night. The next day, we all began our journey now only with one bottle of water and uh, those orange peanut butter crackers that I had in my back pocket. We began to ascend now that curvy trail that would go all the way to the top. We left the tree line, and it seemed like I left all my friends. They, they weren't going to journey with me to the very, very top. So they turned around, and they came back down, and I continued my ascent to the top of the mountain. And I would see people coming down as I was trying to make my way up. They seemed to have lots of energy. I seemed to have no air in my lungs at all. And I would look down and I would walk and walk and look up. And it didn't seem like that, uh, the crest of that mountain was getting any closer. The more I struggled and struggled and struggled. And then I began to think to myself, okay, 
this has to be good enough, right? I, I'd turn around and he'd see this beautiful uh, view uh, behind me as I was ascending and people would come down and I'd say, hey, this is good enough, right? I, do I really need to go all the way to the top? Oh no, you're close, man, you're close. You gotta go. And then a lady comes down with a baby right on her front there, you know, in that little pouch. And I think, oh my gosh, if she's carrying that all the way to the top, I surely can make it all the way to the top. And I had this struggle on and on and on as the rocks were sliding out from under my feet and I kept ascending and ascending until I finally crested the top. And the, the beauty, the majesty, the glory of what I could see. Now, not just, not just one vision this way, but 360 degrees because I was up on the highest point of the mountain and I could see all the way around me the majesty and glory of what God had created. I tell you that story and I choose this text today for that very reason. Because I don't know about your life, but my life, especially, you know, here we are just a a few days away from the beginning of this pandemic that has now gone on for two years. Why is it, friends, that the journey of life, the journey up from the pit to the peak is so exhausting and so long, I got to the top of that mountain. I sat down, I, catched my, I caught my breath, catch, caught my breath. I drank my bottle of water. I ate my cracker, crackers, and then I descended and I went back and it was all over. The journey to the very top seemed to be an eternity. It seemed to take everything out of me. I had no air. I had only noodles for legs. It seemed to take forever to get to that peak to that view to see what I saw, and yet I was only there for a short time, and then it was all over. Does your life ever feel like that? Do you feel like you're just exhausted? Do you feel like there's nothing but pain and struggle and suffering? And it goes on and on and on. Do you ever cry out like the psalmist? How long, O Lord? How long will you forsake me? Do you ever feel that way in your life? Joseph obviously did, friends. He obviously felt that same way, the same way that you and I do at times. As we began a new year, we're still not over this pandemic thing, by the way. That El Arroyo uh, uh, restaurant in downtown Austin, you know, that's known for the marquee. You follow the marquee on Facebook. They have all these wonderful sayings. This time last year, they had a saying on the sign that said, okay, 2021, we know it's really 2020. Take your mask off now. And it's the same for us in 2022. It just seems like it's going on and on and on as we're trying to climb up out of this pit in an effort to get to the peak. Joseph faced that same thing, friends, but here's the difference that I want us to understand today. Joseph makes a point for us that we dare not walk out of here without because it is our hope. It is our rock. It is our foundation. It is our strength. Back in chapter 37, the beginning of chapter 37, Moses tells us that Joseph was 17 years old when his brothers threw him into that pit, 17 years old. In verse 46 of chapter 41, 
we read that Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh. 13 to 14 years, Joseph experienced the pit. 13 to 14 years, Joseph experienced the pit. And throughout all of the narrative about Joseph, and chapter 41, by the way, is the longest Joseph narrative that we have in all of the account of the chapters that, uh, that uh, give us information about him. But we get detail after detail after detail about things that he does, things that he experiences, things that are going on to give us the fullness of the picture of what he has experienced, but then all to come to a climax in verse 32. And here's that which we dare not miss. In verse 32, the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means this, the thing is fixed, it's fixed, and God will bring it suddenly to completion. Here is our hope, Trinity Grace, here is our hope for the beginning of 2022, that God is still in control. The thing is fixed. God is still seated on his throne. Even in the midst of all of the suffering that you endure, that I endure, the pain of that journey from the pit to the peak, God is still in control. He is still seated on his throne and he is still about lavishing his grace and mercy and goodness to us, his people. There are two wrong ways that we could look at a passage like this. One would be this, that we would read because of Joseph. This chapter, he's in a good place. That chapter, he's in a bad place. This chapter, he's in a good place. That chapter, he's in a bad place. And so we come to this chapter, you know, what's going to happen to him now? Is he going to be in a good spot or is he going to be in a bad spot? That would be the wrong way of reading the passage. Another wrong way, the second wrong way would be this. Okay, I've got to find something. My life my life is so bad right now, and the, the pain that I am enduring in this pit, I, I got to find something that will get me out of it. I got to find something that I can do that will merit me climbing up out of this pit and getting to the peak. Where is the solution that I may implement it and begin to do what needs to be done to get rid of this and to achieve that? That would be a wrong way of reading the text. Because, friends, this text is all about God. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about Joseph. It's all about God and his sovereignty and his providence. Now, let me define those terms for you. Sovereignty, a fancy word that simply means God's reign or his rule. He is seated on his throne today, even In the midst of suffering and chaos around us, he is seated on his throne, always seated on his throne, and he is never in heaven saying, whoops, what am I going to do now? Sovereignty, providence, his care for us, his preservation, his, his giving us good gifts, even sometimes that we can't see or we refuse to see because we want to fix our eyes on our pain or on our suffering or on the events of the peak. But we are still held in the hand of God, the hand of Christ and the hand of God doubly joined forever and ever. This thing is fixed. 
That's what Jesus is telling us today. That's what God, our covenant-making king, is telling us today. It is fixed, and it will come to pass. What is it that God will providentially care, take care of his people, you and me? That is good news, my friends. That is good news, and that means that our God can be trusted Two, two ways, very brief ways I want to look at this passage. That God can be trusted when he seems to be delaying, when he seems to be dragging his feet, when he seems to be working slowly, or he's simply absent in our minds, we think. He still can be trusted, and he can be trusted when he works swiftly. When he works slowly, think about this now. Joseph, Joseph grew up in wealth. He was the favorite of the 12 sons. He grew up in wealth, and yet all we find are one, uh, one problem after another. He's now in, in the pit. He's not experiencing the, the life of luxury and wealth in his father's home. He's, he's inside the pit. He was given the place of authority in Potiphar's house, but he lost that and ended up in irons uh, in the pit. Uh, he had hope. He interpreted the dream for the cupbearer. And uh, he said, when this happens and it comes true and you get back to Pharaoh's house, don't forget me. And that's how our text opens. Look how it opens. After two whole years. See, when he sees a glimmer of hope, he sees a glimmer of hope. I interpreted your dream. It came true. You're going to get up there to Pharaoh. You're not going to forget me. He experienced two more years. Two more years of the pit. As you read through the narrative of Joseph, you find these doublings over and over and over and over again. He has two individuals who have two different dreams that he gives two different interpretations. His brothers have two different plans on how they're going to kill him. He has two temptations. He has two humiliations. He has two exaltations over and over and over again. It's a two, it's a two, it's a two. And so when we get to verse 32, it's, it's almost as if it, this is the slap to our face to say, hey, you got to get this. You can't miss this. The doubling of it is this. It is fixed by God. And God will bring it to pass. That's the culmination of all of these twos that we read about in Joseph's life to get to this one culminating statement. The doubling is sure, it is fixed by a providential, sovereign God who is still in control of all things. Now think about Joseph's life of what you remember from your Sunday school days. Back at the beginning, chapter 37, when he's having these dreams and he's telling his brothers that they're all going to bow down to him. Not a very humble guy, is he? Not a very humble guy because he's elevating himself. And yet, look, look where he is now. Look what, uh, what uh, Pharaoh says of him in verse 16. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it's not in me. Pharaoh says, I hear you can interpret dreams. And he says, it's not in me. But God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. After 13 or 14 years of life in the pit, do you see how his life had changed? He's no longer saying that everything's going to bow down to him, but now he says, I have no power in me to do any of that, but God will do that. 
Jacob was not a very discerning guy in the past, was he? When he treated his brothers, hey, your crops are going to bow down to my crops. and Your plants are going to bow down to my plants. But look in verse 39 and 40. Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown all of this to you, there is no one more discerning and wise than you in all of my house. And so you're the guy. I'm going to make you the guy. No more was it discerning for self, but now discerning and wisdom that was given to him from God. Contentment. He wanted even his dad to bow down to him. Jacob or Israel, his father, would say, do you expect that I would be bowing down to you as well, like you're expecting your own brothers? But look at the names of his sons in verse 51. The first son he names Manasseh. Why? Because it means God has made me forget all my hardship. And the second name, Ephraim, because God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Here's my point, friends. Life in the pit was preparing Joseph for what God would use him at the peak. God had not abandoned him in the pit, but God had changed him. His time of greatest trial and pain and suffering would result in God's greatest use of him as an instrument to save his covenant people and Egypt. Have you ever thought of your life that way? When something so traumatic comes and it takes the wind out of you and you feel like it just does not end, it will not end, it keeps going on and on. What is our, what is our primary desire at that point? Isn't it just to get rid of it? Isn't it to fix it, to wipe it away? And yet those times, friends, when we rest in the certainty of knowing that it is fixed, that God has said it is an absolute certainty, when we can rest in that, even in the midst of our struggle, God is preparing us for a fruitful ministry in his kingdom. We dare not miss, listen, listen to this. We dare not waste one ounce of God's providence in our trying to get rid of our suffering and our pain so that we can make it better for ourselves. But in that suffering and pain, God is still there and he is still working his desire, his fixed desire to accomplish in us what he has decreed he would accomplish. Can you trust that? Can you rest there? Even at the beginning of 2022. We'll look at 32, verse 32. The doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God. It is. But it also means that God will shortly bring it about. And isn't that what he does now? Pharaoh, or Joseph could trust him in, in the pit, but now, now he's elevated him to the peak. Think about these events that we, that we read here. Uh, the, the chief cupbearer says, I remember my offenses. There was a guy, he interpreted the dream. And then we read in verse 14, Pharaoh sent and called Joseph. He brought him quickly out of the pit. He shaved himself, changed his clothes, and he came and he stood before Pharaoh. Now think about that. How long do you suppose that took? Pharaoh says, you're telling me there's a Hebrew in the pit, my pit, my dungeon. 
who can interpret dreams. Go get him. They quickly, the passage say, go get him, pull him up. He shaves, changes his clothes, and he's standing before Pharaoh. How long would that take? 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour? But isn't that the point? Throughout that long journey of the pit where Joseph was trusting in a covenant-making and covenant-keeping God, one call, one call, and it's over. Pharaoh calls for Joseph, and they bring him up out of the pit, and it is over. And isn't that the way it is in our life? Out of darkness into light, from death to life by the one call of a providential, sovereign, loving Savior who decrees from the foundation of the world that we are his, bought with a price, and the price being his own life. And he floods us with that abundant grace. Doesn't mean that the problems of life are over. Joseph is about to experience 14 more years in in Pharaoh's house. It's not over. But the trust is different, is it not? He can be trusted. God can be trusted even in times of the pit, knowing that he's elevating us to that peak, to stand on the peak of that beautiful awe-inspiring, glorious view of abundant grace upon grace that he offers to us in Jesus. One call and it's over. We are his, bought with a price. My mother-in-law died uh, a little over a year ago. My wife is an only child and there... And many times in, in, in life, my, my wife would say, it seems like our roles are reversed, that I'm the mom and, and she's the daughter. And there were lots of events, I won't bore you with the details, of, of life that, that uh, went on as my wife uh, grew and my mother-in-law, being raised in a Christian family, seemed to uh, walk away from uh, any of that and to focus solely on self and the, the, the desires of what she could gain of uh, uh, in life herself. To the point that Jennifer and I would talk many times, having no, having no assurance at all that her mother, were she to die, would, would wake up in the arms of Jesus. And then we, uh, we even spent a couple of years down with her on, on South Padre Island, and we, we noticed that things were beginning to change. Her, her speech was changing as far as what she was focusing on and talking about, and she, was, she and her sister had begun reading their Bible and, and talking about things and listening to different sermons and so forth. And then Jennifer, out of the blue, got a call from her mom, and her mom simply spent time crying and repenting and seeking forgiveness from my wife for the way she had been treated her whole life. And uh, it, it was, it was a, a healing, cathartic type of, of a phone call. But, but here was what made it even more dramatic. It less, just a matter of a few weeks after that phone call, my mother-in-law spilt some coffee on the kitchen floor and she had a paper towel in her hand and she threw the paper towel down and she took her foot like this to dry it and she slipped and she fell back and she hit her head on the countertop and 30 days later she was gone. My wife spoke at her memorial and she said, this is what happened, this phone call. 
And only because of that phone call can I be certain that I'll see my mom in glory one day because that which was begun in her, he who began a good work, saw that all the way to the day of completion. It was fixed. And through that whole journey of the pit, he had brought her to the peak. And now I can be confident of that, that I will see her again in glory. I wonder, friends, if you ever think of your life that way, your deepest sorrow, your deepest pain, your deepest struggle is only that which God is preparing you for his greatest joy and work in his kingdom. It's fixed. It's absolutely fixed. Let us, let us waste not one ounce of God's providence not knowing that we are secure in the hand of Christ, in the hand of God, doubly joined forever and forever. He is sovereign. He is reigning on high, and he is providentially caring for you day after day. Now think about this as we close. Joseph, I'm not saying, friends, listen, I am not saying just get out there and be like Joseph. Just do what Joseph did. Just head up. Chin up, come on, we can do this. That's not what I'm saying. Because Joseph is only a a type of Christ, a pre-Christ, if you would. Because Joseph's life came and went, right? But think about the the, 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 uh, the things that are similar in Joseph's life to Christ's life, that Joseph's life would only point to one who would actually do for this one what he couldn't do for himself. They were both betrayed. Joseph and Jesus were both betrayed. Both were humiliated. Both were accused. Both imprisoned. Both disregarded. Both of them took a wife. Both of them were exalted. Both of them gave bread to the world. This Joseph was only pointing to another Savior who would come, a greater Joseph, to Jesus Christ himself, the very one who would say, it is fixed, it is sure. So friends here, listen, please, if you're here today and you are trusting in Christ alone for your salvation, grab hold of verse 32. The thing is fixed and he will bring it to completion. He who began that good work in you will see it to the day of completion, even if life stinks and it's troublesome. But with all love and affection, if you're here today and you're not trusting in Christ alone for your salvation, Nothing is fixed. Nothing is fixed except for more pain and more pain and more pain for all eternity. But the good news of the gospel is you cry out to that one, the greater, the one who suffered and died for you. And today, friends, he will take you from the pit and he'll bring you all the way to the peaks. And here we are, 2022, standing on the peak with a 360-degree view of the majesty and glory and certainty of knowing it's fixed. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your goodness to us that's ours only in Jesus Christ alone. Thank you that you have sealed to us your work of grace, that you've called us savingly to yourself, 
And now, Father, promise that we are yours, doubly secure for all eternity. So help us, Father, not waste one ounce of your providence, but to trust completely in you today and every day we pray until that day we see you in the fullness of your glory and spend eternity there with you forever and ever declaring your praise. This we ask through Christ our Lord. Amen.